Hi, ladies. Thank you for being leaders in your Bible study groups. Get your green highlighter and green pen so that you can underline some important statements and make notes to help you lead ladies in a meaningful discussion of God's Word. Let's delight in studying and sharing the precious words of the Lord to us. This is the Leader's Guide for Letters to the Thessalonians, Lesson 15 and Lesson 16, Part 1 and Part 2. I am on page 69. These two lessons and the chart could be longish lessons, so I encourage you to watch the time and um, just kind of remember to keep moving, and we don't want to be insensitive to anyone or um, rush with, um, we don't want to rush them or ignore questions, but just um, be aware that you probably need to not spend too much time on, on big questions. <clears throat> so, don't be frightened. <laughs> Why not? Don't be frightened because the Lord is always with us and don't be frightened about what Paul's writing about because his intention was not to scare the Thessalonians. His intention was to encourage them. Turn to page 70, and we'll start at the top of page 70. Just ask them, what is the event that the Thessalonians are worried about? What are they concerned about? What are they asking about in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1? So I've said this is one event described by two phrases. Um, it's the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. So the event, they could say it's the rapture. They could say it's the return of Jesus, um, parousia. Uh, this phrase, our being gathered to him, I would love it if, if over history's time we referred to the rapture as the gathering. I just think, you know, that tells what's happening. We're being gathered together with the dead in Christ and with all believers in Christ. Leaders, I think that you should answer the next question. This is partly for the sake of time and also just as, as ladies have thought about it, but um, give a review of the description of this event. They can hear what you have to say and just um, you summarize it. Here's how I summarized it briefly. Uh, Jesus comes in the air. He gives a command. The angels get involved. The dead in Christ arrive, ar rise. And the, those who are alive in Christ, rise up in the air as well, transformed. So both the dead in Christ and those who are alive in Christ are transformed into glorious, sanctified bodies. Um, this is a, a, a joining of the soul of those who, the souls of those who are already in heaven. That soul is going to be reunited with the body that's dead in the ground. So I did have someone ask me about that, of like dead in Christ. They were just, there was something that was a stumbling block in their understanding of what that was. Because they're like, aren't those who die and who know Jesus, aren't they already in heaven? So how are they going to rise? So the body, the dust is going to be made into a glorified body and there will be that joining, reunion, connection, transformation where soul and old body are now body transformed. Okay, and then there's no separation between the soul and the body of those who are alive in Christ right now. If it's you, if this happens in the next second, you know, uh, our bodies and souls are not separated and our bodies will be transformed in the blink of an eye. And we'll meet Jesus in the air, be with him always together. So you don't have to say everything I just said. <laughs> but anyway, leaders, summarize, answer that question. That will just help things move along. Now, ask the group the question, what is the event that the Thessalonians are worried may have already begun and is ongoing, according to 2 Thessalonians 2.2? And why are they concerned? So the event they're concerned about is the day of the Lord. And they're wondering, has it already come? And why are they concerned about this? Why are they asking this question? They are troubled. They have been troubled. They're, they've been stirred up. And this is either Paul's like, don't be troubled by a spirit or a message or, as, or by a letter as if from us. 
So there was a fake letter from Paul, and it alleged that the day of the Lord had come. So someone was trying to trouble the Thessalonians. What important fact about the timing of the day of the Lord was communicated previously by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, and 3? Okay, we're going back to the first letter. So just a reminder, we're, we are flipping back and forth a little bit between 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. So if someone gives an answer that's not matching what you have, they may have looked at a, the, the wrong letter, first or second, depending on what, which one I was asking about. Because here um, on this page, on page 70, it's been a go back and forth and back and forth pretty much, between each question I've asked. So what important, what important fact about the timing was communicated in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, and 3? From verse 2, it will come like a thief in the night. Surprise! And verse 3, it will come when people are saying peace and safety. That's the circumstance going on. And from verse 3, it will come on like labor pains. Again, surprise, it's here, it's now. It's not something that can be predicted. Both the thief in the night and the labor pains are not something that you can have predicted as a particular time that it's going to happen. What additional information does Paul give about the timing of the day of the Lord in 2 Thessalonians 2.3? I have a couple of points. <clears throat> he doesn't want anyone to be deceived about the day of the Lord, about the timing of the day of the Lord, because it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and it will not come unless, until, the man of lawlessness is revealed. And um, he is the son of destruction. So those are the points. And if people are like, what are we talking about here? Remember, we're going to get to the conversation of these, the apostasy on the next page. And we're going to get to the conversation of the man of lawlessness a little bit later. So we looked at, at the top of page 71, still looking at the timing of the day of the Lord. And they were to highlight the timing in that passage. Rather than talk about highlights or anything, you don't need to do that. That will be kind of hard to do. Let's just go to the summary question underneath because it says, based on the previous passage, what does Paul want the Thessalonians to realize about the timing of the judgment phase of the day of the Lord? The way I answered it was this. Some things must happen first and they haven't happened yet. That's the point he's making. What has to happen first? The apostasy has to happen first. And then the man of lawlessness is revealed. He's seen. He does things. And from verse 7, it says the one who restrains will be taken out of the way. We'll get to that conversation after now this apostasy conversation, which um, you can stick to what's in the workbook, and, but I do have some information to add, and you can decide whether you want to add this in or not. First of all, the word apostasy is the Greek word apostasia, and the Greek definition that I found is basically rebellion, abandonment, it's also uh, forsake. I have another one that says defection from the truth. Depending on how you understand salvation, some people will say that a person can lose their salvation, and that's what's meant by defection from the truth. I do not understand. I do not believe that that is what Scripture teaches. So that would not be the understanding of the word apostasy that we should have. So defection from the truth would be um, someone who's been going to church. They might say they're a Christian, but they're not truly saved. And then they're like, you know what? I'm not doing this church thing anymore. And they may say, I'm not a Christian anymore. That may be their language, but they were never a Christian to begin with. So that could be a type of defection from the truth. I do think that happens. The additional information that has come across my path just in the past month or two without me looking for it 
is that the Greek noun apostasia can refer to a physical departure. Um, what I was talking about just a minute ago would be a spiritual departure of someone who was going to a church and they're acting like or thinking, saying they're Christians, but they, they're really not. And they leave the church and they say they're done with Christianity and they're done with God. That's a departure from a spiritual thing. So there, this word apostasia and the verb from which the noun is derived, the verb is aphistomy. This verb is used 12 out of 15 times in the New Testament for physical departure. So there are um, biblical references where we can see this verb used for someone walking away. Now, what does that mean? That means that we could read 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3 to say, let no one, I'm looking at the top of the page, let no one in any way deceive you, for for it will not come, the day of the Lord will not come, unless the departure, the physical departure comes first. Well, what kind of physical departure has Paul been talking about? In his first letter, he was talking about the physical departure of believers in Christ. The gathering, the rapture, the coming of Jesus and our being gathered to him. That is a physical departure of the church from the earth. So I will say this makes a lot of sense to me, but that's new information. I haven't had a lot of time for it to be disputed. I've read an article. I've seen two two scholars explain it. I've seen other uh, biblical scholars also agree with it, but it still is brand new information in my hands. So I hold it loosely and carefully. There are um, plenty of those who see apostasy as a departure of uh, the church from the truth, and uh, that is described by Paul as well in First Timothy four and Second Timothy. And we look at those verses at the bottom of page seventy-one. One of the arguments that those who see apostasy as physical departure, they say that First and Second Thessalonians is a very early letter of Paul, and he's writing in context to the Thessalonians regarding their concerns in the day of the Lord. So it it totally fits the context for it to be physical departure. And then by the time he's writing to Timothy, Paul is at the end of his ministry and he is looking down the road and he's saying, this is going to happen in the future. So the context of information that Paul is talking about is different. So it absolutely is true that, as we see in 1 Timothy, in latter times, some will depart from the faith. So we're We need to look at this because it's true, it's scriptural truth, that there will be a falling away, a departure from truth, and how is this going to happen? So how do the following verses, the bottom of page 71, uh, describe it? 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. In latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, forbidding marriage, requiring abstinence from foods that God created. So that could begin now. That it doesn't, I don't think that Paul is saying that this is only going to be like during the tribulation, but you could see how it could begin before rapture and it could continue and really get bad after rapture, uh, during the reign of the Antichrist. Also, 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 13, in the latter days, latter days is referring to like late in time, perilous times will come. Evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. And we're going to see that type of language when we're talking about the Antichrist. So it is definite that this type of belief behavior will happen during tribulation. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. They will not endure sound doctrine. They will heap up for themselves teachers, 
turning their ears away from the truth, being turned aside to fables. So again, this can be already be happening now. We can see it happening now. This is another reason that the those who see apostasy in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, they see it as a physical departure. One of the points they make is that spiritual departure, the spiritual apostasy, where there are those that reject the truth of of the Bible, (laughs) true Christianity, that has happened throughout our whole church history. There are those, I'm air quote, churches who are following heresy. They're turned, they've turned away from the truth and they're, they just reject portions of scripture. They believe their own thing um, and still call themselves a church. So they're not really a church if they're not in Christ, believing and receiving all of his truth. So I'm, I'm turning the page and I'm moving on now to page 72 and just go to the first exercise. Now we will look at all the dreadful details of what is to come when the Antichrist is revealed according to 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 10. So this is the man of lawlessness. We're looking at that uh, description of him. And if you can, because these are fill in the blanks, ask the group, you know, can we just go around the circle? And if you don't have it, then you can say skip or pass if you didn't get it, if you don't want to answer. But let's see if we can go around. So just read it with the blanks filled in. Um, He is revealed as the man of lawlessness and the son of destruction. Just so you've heard it, the the, um, New King James calls him the man of sin. The Christian, I'm sorry, the complete Jewish Bible says that this is the man who separates himself from Torah. Torah is the teaching of God, um, God's word. And then the NIV calls him um, the one not son of destruction, but the one doomed to destruction. So there are some different translations in that phrase. What does he do? He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. He seats himself in the temple of God. Some may have the sanctuary of God. He displays himself as God. He is presently held back and will be revealed in his time. That's where we are right now. We'll talk about that in a little while. He will be revealed after the one restraining is taken away. His time is short, hooray, because the Lord will destroy him and bring him to nothing by the brightness of his coming. His arrival is in accordance with the working of Satan. His arrival will be accompanied by false miracles and signs and wonders. He will deceive those who are perishing. I want to go back to the one where it says he seats himself in the temple of God. This is putting himself in the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple and the Holy of Holies is considered the throne of God. The Ark of the Covenant was was considered the throne of God. So to say he seats himself in the temple means there has to be a temple built for him to put himself there. The other parts of scripture, um, Matthew, and I can't remember exactly where else, but there are some scriptures that give timing. So we, and you'll see it in your chart. When we get there, in a few pages, page 81, that the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation at three and a half years is when other scriptures tell us that he will seat himself in the temple. So by the midpoint of the tribulation, the temple is built in Jerusalem, and Jews have been practicing worship there, worshiping. So it's not happening. There's there's no temple right now. So we're not close. To, we're we're at least three and a half years away from the midpoint of the tribulation, but we are. Um, it won't start. The tribulation clock does not start, as I understand it, until Israel and the Antichrist sign that peace treaty together, and then that's day one of a seven-year period. That's the way I understand it. So I have deviated there, but I just wanted to mention the temple. 
All right, in the box, under those fill-in-the-blanks, I've highlighted two statements. First sentence, the scriptures teach that Satan works by imitation, counterfeit, and deception. And then the last sentence, the coming of the Antichrist will be such a complete, clever parody of the coming of Christ that many will be drawn in by the demonic deception. That is bad news. And now we're going to look at the parallel passages between Daniel and Revelation and 2 Thessalonians. So you were to highlight what highlight somehow or write notes in um, and here's how I think that we should do this. First of all, for you leaders, I encourage you to circle with your green pen the little verse numbers throughout both of those passages. And then what we can do is have you, the leader, read the verse, like you'll read Daniel 8, 23, and, and you can tell the ladies how this is, how this is going to go. <laughs> so you'll read the verse, and then they tell you what phrases, what descriptions of the Antichrist from 2 Thessalonians are parallel to this. So you might want to write that question in your notes. What phrases or descriptions of the Antichrist from 2 Thessalonians are parallel to the verse that you read? This does not have to be an exhaustive exercise or an exhausting exercise. <laughs> this also, the answers do not have to be exactly alike. Your answers do not have to be exactly alike mine. They may have, they may see something else, but this is just a way to, as you go through, I hope that what everybody will have as a takeaway is like, wow, I see parallels. This is the same person being described between 2 Thessalonians, Daniel 8, and Revelation 13. I'm going to talk through it. So Daniel 8, 23, in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features who understands sinister schemes. Um, transgressors, that may be referring to the to apostasy, a falling away, because that will happen, as we've seen in 1 Timothy. Um, there is a king. Someone exalts himself. We've seen that in 2 Thessalonians. He understands sinister schemes. Sounds like a man of lawlessness and destruction to me. Verse 24. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. Thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also oppose the holy people. So he opposes, uh, he opposes people and he does false miracles. He has his power. He doesn't do it by his own power. He is in accordance with Satan. He destroys fearfully. That's destruction and, and opposition. And again, he'll destroy the mighty. That's opposition again, opposing. Verse 25, through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit. So you can hear deception. He deceives. He does all kind of false miracles and signs and wonders. And uh, he exalts himself. So he exalts himself, sits in God's sanctuary. He shall destroy. And he's the son of destruction. He will be broken without human means. The Lord destroys him with the brightness of his coming. Verse 26. I really don't have that much for that one. You can still read it. In the vision of the evenings and the mornings, which was told is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. So this is giving us the time frame, just looking ahead. And I do have a note that we should not be deceived because it will not come. Paul said it will not come until... Um, but it will come. So this is prophecy that refers to many days in the future. From Revelation 13, verse 1, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. On his horns, ten crowns. On his head, a blasphemous name. So he rises up. He's revealed in his time. He has power and he's a ruler. The heads and the horns and the crowns. He has a blasphemous name. He displays himself as God. 
Verse 2, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So, um, just a beast. He's a, With all of this destruction, he's a son of destruction. Leopard, bear, lion. Uh, the dragon, he's in accord with Satan, and Satan gives him his power. He has a throne and great authority, so he exalts himself. In his great authority, I also have a note that he opposes. Um, verse 3, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Again, we have this false miracle going on. Key phrase, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. And his deadly wound was healed. So the world is going to look and just, uh, I mean, this is a magic trick. This is a deception, a sleight of hand. He is, they're going to think he's dead and that he has come back to life. But this is a false miracle. Uh, Marvel follow. He's going to deceive those who are perishing. Verse 4, so they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast who was able to make war with him? Um, when it says dragon, I've got Satan <laughs> worshipped. They worshipped him. He's displaying himself as God. They are going to worship him saying, so they are deceived. They're under his delusion. And um, the ones who worship are saying this about him. Who is like the beast? Um, who's able to make war? War as opposition. He opposes every so-called God, and he exalts himself, and again, he's a son of destruction. I know there's repetition, but the repetition's a teacher. Verse 5, as he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Um, again, just the authority thing, he opposes and exalts himself is what I have. I think that's all I have. Um, he is. Oh, he was given authority. This is in accordance with the working of Satan. Satan's giving him authority. God is allowing this. So this is a nothing is happening without God allowing it to happen. Um, but that's not from Second Thessalonians two three through ten, is it? <laughs> okay. Where am I now? Verse 6, he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. So again, he's displaying himself as God. He's sitting in God's sanctuary. So blaspheming him. It was granted to him, this is verse 7, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe and tongue and nation. Son of, son of destruction, making war. Displaying himself as God, this authority that was given to him. Again, that's delegated authority. Verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. These are the people who are deceived. And they are those whose names have not been written in the book of the life. Book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. They, these are the ones who are perishing who are referred to in that Second Thessalonian passage. This is hard stuff. I've asked a summary question at the top of page 64, so let's go there and um, just as a big picture takeaway from everything we've just seen there. How would you summarize a description of the Antichrist? What will be the impact of his power on the world? I'm sorry, I have one more thing to tell you. I am going to put a copy of my page page uh, on the website of that the passage in my notes of what I've highlighted. I just wanted you to know that was there. Uh, lost my place. Page 74 at the top. So ask for comments about this. How would you summarize a description of the Antichrist? What will be the impact of his power on the world? Like, it's horrible arrogant. He's a deceiver. He's aggressive and powerful. Um, he is a, a faker. 
and a show-off. And why is he doing this? To deceive and beguile and I put woo people. I mean, he's going to entice them to follow him. He commands attention in such a way that people like him and respond to him. Or they're afraid of him and they respond to him, right? He's a blasphemer. He is anti-God. His behavior, he may, he'll deceive, but there's also a blatant behavior that he will carry out. What's the impact of his power on the world? He deceives, he destroys, he's going to cause grief, he's going to bring evil. There has never been a uh, world dominator like he will be. You can read the next sentence. Paul brought all these details to the attention of the Thessalonians so that they would not be anxious, fearful, deceived, or forgetful. I mean, when we're looking at how bad he is, it, we kind of want to get afraid, but that's not why this information was given to us. What are the exhortations from the following verses that we should apply to our lives? Let's definitely look at these. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, and 9. Stay awake, be aware, be sober, serious. Remember that we are not destined for wrath, but salvation. So pay attention to what's going on around you. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 15. Don't be deceived by anyone in any way. Just hear Paul saying that to his beloved Thessalonians. The day of the Lord won't come until... These things happen. The apostasy and the Antichrist. Um, Stand firm. Hold to the traditions taught by Paul. What he taught was according to scripture. And he taught it in his words and letters. 1 John 4, 1. Don't trust every spirit. Test the spirits to see if they're from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Jude 1 3, contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints. Contend means fight for it, hold it. That's what we are to do now. We can. Jude 1 20 through 23, build yourselves up in holy faith. Pray by the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God. Look for the mercy of Jesus. On some have compassion, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Doesn't mean that you don't have. Um, I mean, on some have compassion. I mean, have compassion on everybody. But you you consider who needs what and when. Okay, so <laughs> that's the end of Lesson 15. And um, I've been talking through it for 30 minutes. So just take that into consideration. At this point, just... Because it's in front of us, because we talked about the Antichrist, what a great time to praise Jesus. Read together this um, doxology. Let's have the group all read it in unison together. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And we'll continue uh, things that are difficult and puzzling. And we have puzzling things, right? We're going to put the picture together as best as we can as we walk through this lesson and part, part one and part two. According to 2 Thessalonians 2, 5 through 12, what is happening at the present time according to verses 6 and 7? Well, currently, right now, there is one restraining So the one restraining is restraining the lawless man. And that's happening right now. We also can see, based on these two verses, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So those are the two facts that we're going to work through. Good news. It is very good good news. Right now there is a restraining a holding back of the man of lawlessness and a holding back of his activity. So restrain. We looked up the Greek word kateko, and I have as the definition to hold down, 
hold fast, possess, seize, stay, take. And that made me curious because the title of my Hebrews Bible study is Hold Fast to Jesus. Like, is the same word used in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, kateko? Yes, it is. So I checked that out. And um, we know, based on Hebrews, we are to hold fast, cling to, uh, grasp, and don't let go of Jesus and his truth. If you picture that same grasping now, the, restri- the one restraining is holding back, holding, holding tight and holding back. The man of lawlessness. A visual picture that came to mind is that of a a very strong man holding a chain that on the other end of that chain is a ferocious barking Doberman picture. (laughs) Doberman pincher. Dog. This dog is chomping at the bit to get loose and to run and attack. But there's a strong man holding him back. That's probably what we should picture right now. And who is the restrainer? I gave you a lot of grammatical information. But let's just move on to the summary. So make a note for that. (laughs) That um, you had a chance to ponder grammatical details. But let's just move on to the summary. And that's in the middle of page 76. The summary, and you leaders just read this. It's the sovereign divine force of God in the person of the Holy Spirit who is restraining sin and the evil one today. He's the only one with the supernatural power to do so. The Holy Spirit is restraining sin and the evil one. And he can do that in his own being. And he also does that as he works through believers. So that's what... I understand is happening with the restrainer. You can ask the next question in the middle of page 76. What happens when God removes his divine restraint? According to Romans 1, 24 through 26 and 28. God gives them up to uncleanness, the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. They they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. God gives them up to their vile passions. Women exchange what is not natural for unnatural. And God gives them over to a debased mind. So when God lets someone go into the evil that they are pursuing, it's bad. Please do draw attention to the box at the bottom of the page. This is an important reminder. The phrase taken out of the way must not be interpreted to mean that the Holy Spirit will be removed from the world. That's impossible since he's omnipresent. Holy Spirit is God, so he's omnipresent. And no one could be saved during the tribulation apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Just remember that. We're going to talk about the mystery of lawlessness at work now and Ephesians, I've given you some verses that agree with that statement. Ephesians 2, 2 through 3. The prince of the power of the air is the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And we previously lived like them in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and mind. We were children of wrath. Ephesians 6, 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness. These forces are one aspect of the mystery of lawlessness currently at work. And then 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Spirits must be tested because many false prophets have gone out into the world already. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And it's heresy if you don't confess, agree, believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus, the man, the Messiah in the flesh. Now, I've kind of forgotten the train of thought of my sentence, but Jesus is God in the flesh. If you don't believe that, then it's heresy. 
What happens to those who are perishing during the day of the Lord, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, 9-11? Those who are perishing. They see and are deceived by Satan's working. They are seeing his false miracles. They're being deceived by his false miracles, signs, and wonders, his unrighteous deception. And God sends them a strong delusion so they will believe what is false. They're already believing what is false. They've already rejected God. God lets them believe what, they're, what they want to believe. It, it, those, uh, that verse 11 really coordinates with um, the 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 3, back on page 71, and 2 Timothy 4. All those, that all coordinates with each other. Why are these people perishing, according to verse 10? It clearly says they did not accept the love of the truth in order to be saved. Again, that's coordinating back to page 71. Um, and then uh, why are they condemned according to verse 12? They didn't believe the truth but enjoyed unrighteousness. This is a hard truth, but it is true. Those who reject Jesus will be rejected by him. If they'll accept him, he will accept them. How does 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 describe the rejection by Jesus? Jesus will take vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence. What's, what does it mean to obey the gospel of Jesus? What is, what is the gospel? Repent and be saved. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near and being offered. So repent, confess your sins. That's the instruction. And if you obey that, if you repent, then you'll get saved. And uh, this fire that's coming is why salvation is called getting saved, because you're getting saved from fire, right? And saved from eternal separation from God. You can go over Romans 12, 1 and Ephesians 4. Um, but if you are running short on time, you could skip those two questions. But I will, give, I will answer them as I did. How does Romans 12, 1, 21 describe this rejection of Jesus? Although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God. They became futile in their thoughts and hearts were darkened. How does Ephesians 4, 18 and 19 describe the rejection of Jesus and his rejection of them? Their understanding is darkened. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. And this is why we pray that God will open their eyes and remove the blindness of their eyes. And we keep presenting truths, waiting for um, them to be curious, for them to hear the truth, respond to the truth, respond to the light of God as he is offering his grace to them. Page 78. Can someone who rejects the gospel before rapture be saved during the tribulation phase of the day of the Lord? Some Bible scholars say yes and some say no. My understanding is yes, they can. And these are the verses that have um, given me that understanding of scripture. What, are the, what does Revelation 7, 3 and 4 say? 144,000 of all the tribes of Israel will be sealed as servants of God. To be sealed is to be saved, which we see in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And there's an impact of these tribes, these 144,000 people. Revelation 7, 9, 13 and 14. A great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, stand before the throne of God and Lamb, clothed with white robes. And um, the question is asked, who are these people arrayed in white robes? The answer is, they have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed, they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. So clearly, there are people who've been saved out of the great tribulation. 
Revelation 24, John saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their forehead or hand. They lived and reigned with Jesus for a thousand years. These are martyrs during the tribulation. That's when the beast arose. Sorry, will arise. And um, anyway, I think that to me, this is very, it's very clear, but I've been dealing with this information for a while. So I'm kind of used to it. What impact does this certainty have on your sharing of the gospel? I am to share the gospel. I'm to do it. Do it now. It's better to hear the truth and respond to the truth now. And I am praying for people now, which is why we had this pause for prayer. So you can comment on that. You can ask if people stopped and prayed for someone. And one of the things that does happen in conversations regarding rapture and the tribulation is that we think of those loved ones, friends, family, anybody that that we can even think of, possibly think of, that doesn't know the Lord now. We don't want them to have to go through the tribulation and be in the situation where they are being deceived by the Antichrist. So pray for them now. Pray that um, God will turn their hearts to him. We're going to go over the next part two of lesson 16, putting it all together. And how here's how we're going to do this. You'll turn to the chart on page 81. And starting at letter A, we're going to read sections. And we should be able to get the answers that are from the fill in the blanks as we read through what's written on your chart. So we're going to have um, a, several, let me count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight sections. And we're going to read these things in alphabetical order according to the sections that they're in. And I think that you, the leaders, should probably demonstrate first. So you'll start with letter A, and the first section is A and B. I'm going to go ahead and just run over the sections for you because what I did was highlight and circle the letters so that I'll very clearly see what my sections are. So section number one is A and B, and then section two is C, D, E, F. Section three is G, H, one, two, three. And then section four, I, J, K, L, M. Section five, N, O, P, Q. And then do uh, R-S-T together. I'm not sure why I put T like I did. I'm maybe like, oops, I should have put it as R. Sorry. Um, and then two more sections. U-V-N and then W-X-Y-Z. So leaders, you'll just demonstrate and read the first section. A, believers are not to be upset or troubled. And B, right now, the lawless one is being restrained. So this is before rapture. This is like where we are right now, present day. Second section, imminent future. C, D, E, F. The dead in Christ rise first. Those who are alive are caught up with them in the air. The Lord makes our hearts blameless at his appearing. And we meet the Lord in the clouds in the air. Next section. This is now up in heaven in the air. <laughs> this actually happened first before the CDEF. Well, it's, uh, it's all happening so quickly, <laughs> right? The Lord descends with a shout. The archangel's voice is heard. There's the trumpet of God. And at this time, believers are the joy and crown of rejoicing and glory. So that was kind of happening from heaven, which is why it's up there and why I seem to have gotten it out of order. And if you'd like to flip those and have that read first and then do C, D, E, F, then go right ahead. Now, during the seven-year tribulation, what are believers in heaven experiencing? I-J-K-L-M. God's kingdom and glory will always be with the Lord. We have the reward of rest from affliction. There is deliverance from wrath to come. And we are not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus. And so that's what we're experiencing up there. People on earth are experiencing what? 
First section, NOPQ. This is the day of the Lord. People are saying peace and safety, but destruction will come suddenly upon them. The apostasy happens first. So it has already happened if it was apostasy as in departure and rapture. It is happening first as in uh, people are not believing the truth and they're leaving the faith. Um, And this would happen before the man of lawlessness is revealed. Even as I say that, it's still making more and more sense to me that that word apostasy in 2 Thessalonians refers to a physical departure of the truth. Church. Physical departure of the church. Q. The evil one comes with wicked, unrighteous deception. Then the next section in at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation, the man of lawlessness opposes God and displays himself as God. Puts himself on the temple. Uh, the next second half, and um, the evil one with is with false miracles, signs, and wonders. Those who are perishing are rejecting the gospel, and they are delighting in unrighteousness. At the second coming of Christ, you and V and N, this is the day of the Lord. The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his powerful angels. The Lord Jesus is glorified in his saints and admired by those who believe. Um, w, X, Y, and Z, the last section. The Lord destroys the lawless one. He brings him to nothing. Jesus takes vengeance on those who don't know God and who don't obey his gospel. God repays with, God replays, I'm really getting tongue-tied with all these things. God repays affliction on the afflictors. And unbelievers pay the penalty of eternal destruction. There is... Very hard to talk about these things and to know that this is coming. It should burden us and break our hearts and cause us to pray and to live our lives with the light of Christ right now. Makes me want to go back to page 74, just as a reminder of what Paul has said in First. Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Stay awake, aware, be sober, serious. Remember that we're not destined for wrath, but for salvation. I'm so thankful for the good news. And uh, don't be deceived. Stand firm. Hold to what we have been taught. I hope that uh, this will be a helpful discussion through these lessons and this information It may be very challenging for those that it's new to. It's very challenging because of the the evil that we have to talk about. It's very challenging because of, uh, like I've just been saying, our, our burden for those who don't know the Lord. May this also make us pray and love and live in response to Jesus right now. And you're doing that? as you are handling his word and being faithful to him. And I thank you for that. Thank you for letting your lives shine and your love show. So thanks for leading through these lessons. That's all.